trigger warning. This book and these readings contain graphic violence of all kinds, mental illness, PTSD, and various other traumas. It's fictional, but it's not far off from real life. Hello, my friendly folks with an X. It's Kelly Carius, and this is the very start of the podcast, One Week in August. So let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing here. You heard the trigger warning. I want to make sure that I'm really clear about that. I started reading this book on Facebook, in Facebook Lives, and I ended up stopping because I really felt like I wasn't sure if I was traumatizing people. So if you like true crime, if you're interested in First Nation residential school issues, if mental illness is interesting to you, then you might want to keep listening. I'm going to be starting and stopping reading and talking. I might be talking about what was going on in my life at the time that I wrote this book, which was quite some time ago. I might talk about some of the issues that the book addresses. You might hear a little bit of an introduction or a rant about my day before we start, or maybe somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I'm going to try to do this the easiest way that I can, with as little editing as possible, and I'm going to try to be as true to myself as I can, uh, and as true as I can with you, my new listeners. So before we really get started on one week in August, it's November 9th, and you know that I have to talk about the U.S. election a little bit, maybe a little bit about social media, and my prediction. In a conversation with my son, we were mulling around what we thought might happen into the future. And my thought is that we have to be really careful right now about how we're talking to each other, for one thing. But maybe in 2024, we're going to end up with a Trump versus Harris race. Yikes. I think it's a good time to really think about if you have any influence, and we all do have influence, to think about what kinds of things we're putting out there in the world and what kind of memes we're sharing on social media, how we're talking to people, how we're extending love to people, or maybe not extending love to people. Just asking you to toss it around in your brain a little bit and consider it. So a little bit of background about myself before I start reading one week in August. I'm pretty excited about this. I started uh, my social work career in child protection. One week in August is about a social worker working in child protection. I started in 1999. I did it for exactly one year. It was January 1st to December 31st, exactly one year. And I didn't really feel like I was helping anyone. It's, it's the most difficult profession, the most difficult part of social work, I think, that anybody can do. And I bailed after a year, and I started a private practice with a bit of, uh, a bit of luck and only a bachelor's degree in social work. I was welcomed into the um, government 
justice contractor group, and I was able to teach parenting after separation and divorce courses, learn from some really brilliant people, and uh, work in the field of uh, custody and access as an expert witness for Court of Queen's Bench. I am a mental health counselor uh, in a formal way in the past and, and in an informal way now. I went through a real bad patch where I worked at uh, A&W for a few months and I wrote a book called Burger Slinger. And we'll see if I feel it. That might end up being another podcast. So then I got lucky and my heart found Muscochis and the people of Muscochis and I started working for Samson Cremation. And in the context of one week in August, this is really interesting to me. It's, it's interesting the way that things sometimes circle back around. You'll see as we get into this book that we're going to be talking about First Nations issues. And we're going to be looking at conflict in the world, conflict in our own lives. And I'm glad you're along for the ride. One Week in August is dedicated to every professional who has ever questioned their calling. The beginning of the secret, playing, quiet, quiet. Brother, stop that. Don't make mom mad. Footsteps coming closer. Mom calling, calling her. Red eyes, crying eyes. Mom's eyes always crying or crazy, crazy or crying. Go now, don't don't make her mad. A bath? No, Mom, no, not a bath. It's cold, Mom. I know I shouldn't make you mad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I said. I'll get in, I'll get in. Screaming, crying, screaming, crying. Deathly, deathly quiet. The silence of dreams smashed like so many high-speed head-on collisions. Nothing would ever be the same. Nothing was good, and nothing will ever be better. The secret. Love the children. Keep the children safe. Love the children. Keep the children safe. Protect them from harm. Keep away the night, the fists, the kicks, the pushes, the shoves, the name-calling, the whips, the rocks, the negligence. Keep it all away. Love the children, keep the children safe, protect them from harm. Both the mantra and the mission went on and on and on. Sunday, August 2nd. The neighborhood could best be described as dingy, so familiar to the populace that everyone stopped looking. Newbies to the place often felt shock and fear when they drove in. Dominated by rentals owned by slumlords, houses displayed chipped and fading paint. Glass was cracked, and many of the exterior windows were covered in foil or plastic, a testament in most houses to the poor insulation provided by their landlords. In some houses, the cover was a ruse to hide the abuse that went on inside. Abuse of spouses, children drugs, booze, or whatever. I could tell some people tried. 
Flower gardens flourished in the front yards of a few of the houses. Nice playthings, not in use, kept locked up next to the house. Curtains were hung in some windows instead of foil, plastic, blankets, or flags. Others didn't, or couldn't, try. Some houses looked abandoned. The house I looked at had foil on some windows, plastic on others, and a Union Jack flag in the big front window garnished with a cracked pane of glass right across the middle. The two-story house was painted a garish yellow-orange color, making it seem bigger than its true size. The front lawn was covered in debris. An old animal-infested couch leaned drunkenly towards the north side of the step. Next to the couch, an almost grotesquely oversized lawn ornament, a ten-point buck, stood crookedly with one broken antler. Garbage and smaller household items made the lawn a minefield for the guests inside, as well as anyone official who might be coming to visit. A pathway to the side door was met by a fence before reaching the door, making crossing the front yard the only easy access point into the house. I sat in the car and I watched the house from about half a block away. Loud music, beer cans on what passed for the front lawn, people staggering in and out. I watched one gentleman guest in particular. He was leaving the house through the front door. On his first step, he fell into the withered grass and dirt, falling beside the couch. He hadn't appeared to hit anything harder than the ground. What's the saying? God protects children and drunks? Something like that, anyway. Laying there for a brief moment, he seemed to be gathering his wits about him before quickly lurching up and heading into the street. Swaying to a stop in the middle of the road, he struggled with his zipper and dropped his pants to his ankles. He urinated on the yellow line of the street. The children down the way stopped to look. It was two o'clock on a fine Sunday afternoon, and the sun burned brightly overhead. My heart rate rose and my stomach dropped at the thought of making my way past the pissing man and crossing that minefield to get into the house. Just another day in the life and times of a child protection worker, and the week hadn't even really started. I dreaded the coming days, even without knowing what else they would bring. Events in child protection were always erratic, unpredictable, and difficult. Happy times were few and far between. Black humor and meditation helped, but nothing really cut through the depths of shit that the abuse laid. I pulled out my cell phone and dialed. RCMP, came the brisk answer. Detective Sanderson, please. No response, just the blank hum of being on hold. Not even the cheery country music of the city's most listened to radio station. I thought about that as I waited in the blank space of the land of those who are waiting in limbo. Detesting country music, I wondered about the personality of people who could spend enormous amounts of time listening to people's problems on the radio, often without bothering to take care of their own. The Billy Ray Cyrus line dance song, Achy Breaky Heart, currently blasting out of the brightly colored house, only helped to reinforce my jaded belief that country music fans must have issues. Sanderson, came the familiar voice on the phone. Nice to be able to call for help and reach your brother. Jimmy, Anna, Anna here. I'm glad you were in. Hey, nice to hear from you. Casual or business? If it's casual, Brenda and I wanted to see if you wanted to come over for supper tomorrow, if you're free. Nice. Thanks for the pity. You know I'll be free. I'd love to come, but I'm not phoning for a casual reason. 
I'm sitting here on Centennial Street. Guess where I am? Gotta be Indos. What's up? Nice big party, probably about 20 people. A neighbor called the office, worried about the kids. There's no way I'm going in by myself. I need you to send me a couple of officers. I see Barnes and Leslie standing around twiddling their thumbs. I'll send them over. They should be there in about 15 minutes. Shocked by the echoing blast, I looked around. Long, loud screams came from Indo's house. People started fleeing from the front door of the house, carelessly running through the pitfalls of the front yard and bailing out the side door. They were moving fast, faster and with more coordination than I'd have expected from people leaving such a rowdy party. It can't wait that long. Did you hear that? Nope. What's going on? Two gunshots. I need cruisers with lights right now, Jimmy. Everybody's bailing out of the house. My own adrenaline spiked with the quickness of a leopard pouncing on its prey. Jimmy yelled, Leslie, Barnes, get over to Indo's place now. Talking to me again, he said, lock your doors, Anna, and get the hell out of there if you need to. Barnes and Leslie are on their way. Linda and I won't be far behind. Talk to you soon. Stay safe, Panda, we're on our way. I focused on the scene before me, doors locked, and the car in gear as the partygoers fled the scene. I tried to recognize faces while at the same time wishing myself into invisibility. Hopefully the parent of the children down the way had noticed the problem and pulled the kids into the house. And while all this happened, in some small part of my mind, I thought about how much I really hated my job. Let's end this first episode with a little bit of commentary. When I worked in child protection 20 years ago, I really did hate it. Uh, it hit a point where I found it hard to answer the phone, where returning calls felt impossible. And on one of my last days, I actually sat outside of a party, uh, expected to go in. The police were too busy to come with me, and I just refused to go in. I came back to the office. I lodged a complaint or two about not having cell phones and not having proper support while we were doing this uh, important and, and very difficult to manage work. And of course, you know, you're going up against a big government system and, and uh, they didn't care too much about my complaints. And, and I did end up resigning the position, knowing that there was no way that I could do this for any longer. Uh, I was in my 20s. I, in the last six months of that position, and I was only there for a year, I didn't have a period. There was a point where the doctor finally said, well, what, what kind of work do you do? And I said, child protection. And he went, oh. Uh, so that was all happening to me because of the of the stress of the job. I, I can remember... Um, I remember a, a young girl with uh, MS who was sexually abused by her her father, and and just being devastated by it, and needing to to pull over on the highway on my on my way home, and 
and cry and cry. And so it, it distanced me even from my, from my own children because I, you know, needed to do that, um, the kind of recovery and that kind of, that kind of care for myself. And then now with my work at Musquachis, kind of see the other side of it and, and, you know, question again, uh, how much does this really help people? And is this a system that, that needs to have a really good look and a really good revision, uh, as well as the mentality that we have that, that goes along with it. Uh, you know, anytime you're making assessments or judgments about how somebody cares for someone else or, or whether somebody's getting what they need, that's a, it's a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight. That's a big judgment to have to make. And it, kind of supposes that the people who are clients are not able to make those judgments for themselves. And granted, sometimes they're not, but a lot of times they are. And we really need to come at these kinds of issues from a strength perspective and and notice what strengths people have to move them forward. So my friendly folks with an X, we're going to end there for today. And I hope you keep on listening. I'd love to hear what what anybody thinks about the book, about the reading, about the child protection system, about any of the issues that we talk about in this one week in August podcast along the way. Bless you. Thanks for listening. One Week in August is written, read, and produced by Kelly Carius.